without the Eucharist, we can live, you know, the Christian life, which is a sacrificial life by its very nature, right? And configured to Christ, the crucified one. So Jesus gave to his bride his sacrifice so that our little sacrifices can be joined and offered together with his infinite great sacrifice. Welcome to the Catholic Theology mm-hmm. Show, sponsored by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné, and today I am uh, so happy to be joined uh, by a wonderful Catholic theologian, uh, Lawrence Feingold, who is a professor of theology at the Kenrick Glennon uh, Seminary in, uh, in St. Louis. St. Louis, uh, that's right. And I was so excited to have uh, Dr. Feingold on our show today. Uh, because we're doing a series on really recovering and deepening our understanding of and devotion to the Eucharist as part of the bishop's call for a Eucharistic revival. And uh, Dr. Feingold, also known as Larry, uh, (laughs) has uh, written a beautiful book uh, that came out in 2018, a huge one. It probably weighs a couple pounds here, uh, at least about two inches uh, thick, if not more. What? How many pages here? About, I think, what? Almost 700, 600, 600 or more pages called The Eucharist, Mystery of Presence, Sacrifice, and Communion, uh, published by Emmaus Academic. And uh, so just what a gift we have to have a right a professor of theology who has uh, written a whole book on uh, the Eucharist. Mm. And, Thank you so uh, much for, for having me. Absolutely. And, and this book that you've written comes out of years of teaching, mm-hmm. correct? That's right. Yeah. So I teach um, a course on the Eucharist for ah, seminarians, yeah. 30-year seminarians, so you, shortly before their diaconate ordination yeah. um, on the Eucharist. That's and that great. has been such a blessing. So wow. I've been teaching that since 2011, I think, or 2000. Okay, that's right. wonderful. And so then that's... And this so this book. is my course, it started as my course notes yes. for my class on the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And then after teaching it um, numerous years, it hopefully gets better because students ask good questions and they, uh, I get the, the blank look sometimes is even more oh, helpful. Okay. <laughs> this did not communicate. I need more explanation here. I, I, and then I, yeah. always what's practical, right? So form a beautiful thing about seminary formation is you're forming future preachers. And um, a big part of this formation is on their Eucharistic preaching and yeah. their Eucharistic devotion and piety, which gets communicated in their whole priestly life. Wow, so what, what a it, gift. Yeah. What a gift uh, to uh, be able to participate in that uh, with mm-hmm. really helping to teach uh, the next generation of priests. And maybe again, just thinking a little bit about mm-hmm. your experience and in teaching that course, you mentioned blank looks. Uh, <laughs> what are some of the big questions uh, that you think people have, either your students uh-huh. Uh, have the seminarians or maybe the the questions that they that they think other people have right. that they worry about how to answer uh, well I, before i answer that is that okay yes um, and it's actually what they're not um, so a, a bigger problem i find is um so i always like to start with the why question why did jesus institute the eucharist and i wish there was more preaching about that Oh, um, and, I see. And I Instead of just saying like what the Eucharist yeah. is, it's so, more I mean, why the right. Eucharist. And of course, I, this I learned from Thomas Aquinas. Every treatise, he starts with that question. On the incarnation, why did God become incarnate? On the Eucharist, why did Jesus institute the Eucharist? Mm-hmm. Um, and so so I find that really, the that's the most important thing to get right. Yeah. Um, and so there, there's not just one answer. So I think a lot of people um, might... A lot of people might say spiritual nourishment, and that's that's absolutely right. That's from Thomas Aquinas. Kind of makes the analogy of seven needs of our spirit of our physical life with our spiritual life. We need to be nourished. 
um, we need spiritual nourishment in the supernatural life. Yeah, and that's obviously, that's, but that's not the only thing. So to introduce this, I think it's really helpful to put it in the context of Christ the bridegroom and the Eucharist as a nuptial sacrament with his bride. And so that, I think, gives us the, um, the context for understanding the why, right? To see Jesus the bridegroom, if we want. So theology, I think, I'm step back. Theology in general is trying to look at the world through, from a God's eye point of view, right? That's, and we've got his revelation to do that. But we also have to think through it, right? And so from the point of view of the bridegroom, what would he want to do? What makes sense to do to unite his bride? So first thing, obviously, is presence. He's got a, right, so he's, this is a bridegroom who's become present in the incarnation and then ascended. And we're in that time of, the, I mean, basically, from his ascension till his second coming, in which we've lost his visible presence with his bride. He's left, but, and so he's into the Eucharist to remain with us while leaving, right? So that's like the first problem that the Eucharist answers is, um, how can the bridegroom remain in a way proper to the bride, who flesh bodily, a bodily bride, um, and our bridegroom who's taken flesh but left with his visible body um, wants to remain with the bride, right? And so the real presence answers that, right? So again, something that human flesh and blood couldn't do, our bridegroom is able to do to remain with us in his body and blood and everything, his whole personal reality, soul and divinity, um, while he leaves. And then a better kind of presence, right? So when you think of it, when he was in, in his in public ministry, he was only present in one place, right? That was, right? So you, yeah, you yeah. had to be in Nazareth. You had to It was be, always crowded around that's him right, too. Right. Yes, yeah, the people house, were you pressing. Know, in Capernaum, yep. you know, yep. where they had to go through the roof. Um, and so he's found a way, a better way to be present with his bride as um, wherever his bride is. Right? And yet, so it's a better because it's wherever we are here, Javier Maria University, yeah. the chapel. Mm-hmm. I mean, just where, where I teach this class from the seminarians is down the hall, right? Okay, yes, so, yes. Right? And then, again, comparing that to the Old Covenant. Um, so I have a whole section on the second chapter on the preparation for this in the Old Covenant. And God prepared for it by dwelling in a particular place spiritually, the indwelling presence in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, but again, only in one place, right? The temple in Jerusalem. And then when the temple gets destroyed, that presence gets lost. And so Israel, I think, was nurtured with a reverence for that indwelling presence because there was just one place, right? And there was the site of all pilgrimage, of all Jewish prayer to Jerusalem still today, to the west, Western Wall. Yeah. But we've got not just a spiritual presence, we've got the whole bodily presence Right, the human presence in his body and blood, and not just in Jerusalem, but right here. And even as a spousal intimacy to think about, right, Christ as our Mm -hmm. spouse, as our right intimate um, love, our intimate head, our intimate wholeness. Yeah, yeah. So our um, our head, our bridegroom stays here, so that I mean, he's come to where we are. uh Of course, we have to go visit him where he's Mm -hmm. come to us here. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that would be the, and of course that presupposes the reality of the, the substantial mm-hmm, presence. Mm-hmm. But again, putting it in the context of why. Right. If right. Christ is yeah. the bridegroom, he wants to right. be with his bride. He's not with his bride in his, in his like 
glorified right. humanity as the visibly visibly right. right it's now under right the right. Under sacramental and that also is good yeah. for us in a way yeah. that's counterintuitive and um, because that gives us the merit of faith right so already wow. in his in nazareth there was the merit of faith believing that you know the carpenter's son yeah. is the messiah and the son of god but here we get the double merit we see neither his humanity nor his divinity and believing that mm-hmm. and so that also is a way a form of presence suited to this bride who has to merit mm. through his grace, obviously, that he gives to us, um, further intimacy. Um, now, if we continue the spousal analogy, and um, presence isn't the only thing that, I mean, that would, um, so if I thought that dwell, simply dwelling with my wife is enough, I'm <laughs> soon going to find out that yeah. um, there needs to be sacrifice, right? So that's the second dimension, okay. is that spousal mm-hmm. um, union requires sacrificing oneself for one's spouse, right? So that would be the kind of mm. the human analogy. Yes. Um, and so Christ sacrificed himself for his bride, right, on Calvary, on the cross. And and so it's a little so the analogy doesn't entirely work. So husbands wives sacrifice themselves for one another. Yeah. Here Christ is sacrificing himself for the bride, but to the Father. Mm. And thus he's giving all right, so here's the second divine problem. Okay. So the first one is yeah. how to leave and remain present. The okay. second one is how to give himself totally to the Father for his bride and to give that sacrifice to his bride to be hers. So now we can't, again, yeah. think of it. So I like to use here um, an analogy like, um, I'm blanking out his name, the um, the saint of the Holocaust who um, gave his life for the- Maximilian Colby. Colby. So St. Maximilian yeah. Colby, right, mm-hmm. giving his life for someone, mm-hmm. and that person for whom he died, right? So he gives his life in the concentration camp for the, the 10th person picked at random. Yes, yes. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and that person, after Maximilian's sacrifice, recognized, I've got to live so that this gets remembered, right? So that's the oh, best we can do is remember yeah. the sacrifice mm-hmm. of the heroic deed. Jesus wants to do something better, to have that sacrifice- be present to his bride for whom he gave himself so that it could be hers so that she can share in the offering of it. And I think this dimension is even less, all right, so obviously statistics show us there's a problem with the presence, right? Mm -hmm. Lots of Catholics have trouble or simply don't believe in the real presence. But even fewer recognize this reality of the Eucharist, that it's Christ's sacrifice on Calvary made present on our altars here today because we weren't there then, right? So just as we weren't there in Nazareth, right, to to meet his presence, to encounter his presence, and he wants to supply that, so we weren't there on Calvary as Mary was and John was. And so the Mass enables us to be present on Calvary. We're going to hopefully go to Mass after this podcast and be present on Calvary. He doesn't want, he's the head of a mystical, so the bridegroom is the head of the mystical body. The head doesn't want to be offered alone. So not only is then the Eucharist a sacrifice, right? And is Christ present in the Eucharist a sacrifice? It's actually, right, it becomes in a way my sacrifice because it becomes I enter into, when I was at at the Mass, I Mm -hmm. am at Calvary represented, Mm -hmm. made present for Mm -hmm. us. We actually then are... It's our sacrifice that is made possible because our sacrifice is no longer ours alone. Right. Because we're now the body with Christ as the head. But right, what my head does, my body does. Right. And so what Christ is doing, he now does in us so that it's truly ours. I'd never, that's, right. that's, that's a beautiful is, yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. So, yeah. in other words, 
without the Eucharist, we can live, you know, the Christian life, which is a sacrificial life by its very nature, right? Um, configured to Christ, um, the crucified one. But um, without the Eucharist, it would just, I could, where would I offer it? In my God corner in my house, right? So in COVID times, we made up a, you know, a corner of the basement with the crucifix and the kneeler. Um, but with the Eucharist, so Jesus gave to his bride his sacrifice so that our little sacrifices can be joined and offered together with his infinite great And sacrifice. so then we have what we most deeply want is that intimacy with God, mm-hmm. right? The ability to... Uh, be totally unveiled Mm -hmm. before our bridegroom, Mm -hmm. before God the Father, Mm -hmm. uh, no longer to be ashamed or hiding because we're naked. But I can only do that if I kind of, if somehow I sacrifice, if I Mm -hmm. let go of all that, which is Right, contrary, right. Uh, contrary right. to that, I have right. to somehow let go of right my pettiness, my yeah. resentments, my sure. right. My These are the sacrifices, envies. exactly. And and I of course could never separate myself from them because I am mm-hmm. part of I'm the problem, right? right? That's, right. You know, so that's going to lead us. So, that's anticipating uh, the third point. Okay. Well, let me just dwell one more minute, before please, we get please. There. So that's it. so I have a whole chapter here. So first on why sacrifice. I think that's a huge problem for us today because we simply don't see religious sacrifices in the way that, so in the Old Covenant, I mean, the whole world offered God sacrifice. I mean, that was just, and in the Old Covenant, God gave to Israel particular ways of offering sacrifice, Mm -hmm. and it made sense, right? Mm -hmm. And the the classical philosophers speak of it as a religion, as a virtue, a virtue by which one gives to God his do or seeks to, fall infinitely short, and one of the ways that we do that is by offering sacrifice. All right, that's already a totally foreign notion, right, to our contemporaries. So this is a huge challenge. And this is why, whereas in the first millennium, this simply would have been taken by granted, taken for granted. And right? so we find in, in the fathers of the church, they, they all see it as a sacrifice. They cite a prophecy of the Old Testament, Malachi mm-hmm. 1.11, that speaks of from the rising of the sun to the setting, a pure sacrifice will be offered to my name. All right, what's that about, yeah. right? In the Jewish context, that makes no sense, right? There's only one place where a perfect sacrifice is offered, Jerusalem, but from the rising of the sun to the setting, a pure offering, right? And so the, the fathers of the church see that as the Eucharist is that pure sacrifice. And so it's a, and it's Christ's sacrifice, but again, as we were saying, he's the head of a body and it's not a decapitated head offering, uh-huh. but a whole, whole Christ offering. And that's why the, so I have another chapter on the participation of the faithful in offering the sacrifice. And I think this is really crucial for living a Eucharistic spirituality. And I think so many of the lady have very confused notions about this if they do, mm-hmm. right? And so, the, but the, and part of the, what I do in that chapter is going through, um, well, scripture has something to say about this. So Romans 12.1 is the, the key text where St. Paul exhorts all Christians to offer our bodies as spiritual worship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we should As, make in a way the, Christ offered right? his body. We should make right? the so, connection yeah, yeah. body, right, with Christ's body offered in the Eucharist. So our bodies oh, with Christ's mm-hmm. body, right? He, it's left implicit like so much in St. Paul. Yeah. Fathers of church developed that. And that's where the whole of the Christian life, all of the sacrifices we have to make of our selfishness in order to, to live um, and the Beatitudes, the commandments, but also our participation in Christ's mission. So our participation in his kingly and prophetic mission yeah. mm-hmm. is um, offered, that's our priestly mission, 
in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And so, so many of the prayers of the, um, of the liturgy highlight the fact that it's um, not just Christ's sacrifice, nor just the ministerial priest's sacrifice, but that of the whole church. Um, and so this is what we call the common or royal priesthood of all the baptized and confirmed lay faithful, joining in the offering. Um, and so what does that mean to join in the offering? It's two things. It's consenting to Christ's offering, like Mary at the foot of the cross, consenting yeah. to her yeah. son's being offered to the Father for the redemption of the world. And despite her right, unimaginable grief, yeah. the rejoicing that our redemption is accomplished and offered. Um, and so, yes, for us, it has less of a price. We're not his mother, although we have to put ourselves into her heart to properly participate. So offering the son to the father, right? So what are, uh, what are we about to do when we go to mass? I mean, how many of the faithful can say, I'm being called to join in offering God the son to God the father. But he wants something else with that. And that's, so yes, the mass makes present Calvary, but it has to add something. All right, how can something be added to Calvary? And that is our individual life. So we get to we get to join at yeah. the foot of the cross, That's right? And in uh, a way, consent, consenting. not only to offer ourselves, but in a way to consent in the offering of right. Christ to the Father. Right. Both things together. So that's our yeah. twofold participation in the offering. Yeah. Christ consent to Christ being offered, yeah. and adding our own life in union mm-hmm. with that together. And so this is the glory of. The baptized Catholic, that we get yeah. to do that. And this is the tragedy of the whole rest of the world, is that, mm-hmm. yes, we're all called to sacrifice, but even mm-hmm. right, our separated brothers and sisters not seeing the Mass as a sacrifice in which we can... Right, in a way, unfortunately, then, we, we yeah. live our sacrifices on our own. Right. Right, which is... Right. Uh, which, and they can and, still put us to shame with their well, sacrifices. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We or, have the glory. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, and, and in a kind mm-hmm. of a modern, I think often mm-hmm. kind of a... Uh, somewhat of a post-Christian secular context. I think there's a, often a real anger over sacrifices and resentments mm-hmm. that can eat away, you know. At our, so right. let's um let's take a quick break and then let's okay. come back and talk about that third okay. uh, theme okay. uh, that I know comes from your book. You're listening to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle, a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. You can visit us at AveMaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support, and now let's get back to the show. Welcome back to our show. Uh, We are pleased today to have uh, Dr. Lawrence Feingold. Uh, talk with us about the Eucharist and, and about his uh, beautiful book uh, that he's written, The Eucharist, Mystery of Presence, Sacrifice, and Communion. Dr. Feingold, uh, please please continue. I think okay. we've gone through presence and sacrifice. And, right. right. So let me say one more thing about sacrifice. Oh, good. I think so we I, need a lot more, okay. by the way, about sacrifice. I think a lot of the oh. faithful miss something really important, and that is that um, mm. we're required to go to Mass Every Sunday, right? So we know that that's a problem already, right? Only 25% Catholics come. But why are we we required, right? So we're only required to receive communion once a year. The the Sunday Mass requirement is actually for our participation in the sacrifice. And I think the faithful 
even good Catholics mm-hmm. might n- not have put that together. Mm-hmm. That's why the church is requiring us so that we can join with the bridegroom in his self-gift mm-hmm. to the Father and offer our lives, even if we're not, <clears throat> for whatever reason, um, receiving communion, right? So it's something that we do, and it has fruits of its own. Um, so in addition to our participation, so I have a chapter on the fruits of the Mass that come to the whole world, even independently of Holy Communion. So let me just say something about that. That is, I think as a lot of people kind of identify mm-hmm. going to Mass and yeah. worshiping with receiving right. communion. Sure. But you're right, a beautiful thing. It's like, I think the right the mm-hmm. uh, the church does I can't, the precepts, I think they're like six precepts right, of the church or something. Exactly. And one of them is to receive communion once a year, uh, to go, go to, to confession, right, I think once, once a year. year. And then, but to go to mass every Sunday and Holy, and Holy Day. Days, yeah. which is, you're right. And that just kind of shows that they really are distinct. Right. And so. And actually it also shows which one is, we think Holy Communion is more important. Oh, right? yes. But mm-hmm. by, by the church's precept, in some way, more emphasis is being put on the offering. Yeah. So worship yeah. is first this rightly right. ordered sharing in the son's sacrificial offering to the right. Father. First, right. And so first. this is an oh. ascending movement. And again, I think a lot of the faithful tend to miss this. And architecture can help it, right? So you want to have a church building show that vertical dimension, that what we're doing is we're offering something up. And then the Eucharistic prayers also point this out, right? For example, the first Eucharistic prayer, well, even at the beginning, lift up your hearts, right? And then um, and then the Eucharistic prayer, the first one, speaks of, asks your holy angel to take it up to the altar on high. Yeah, right, so the altar that we see is... Mm-hmm. Um, is is the visible right. sign of the invisible altar of right. heaven, right? The heavenly liturgy. Right, right. In the presence of God the Father, of course, who's yes. omnipresent. But, mm-hmm. um, and so, and that has fruit, the offering has fruits in and of itself for mm-hmm. that are um, much, much bigger than we tend to think, right? And so, and that also comes out simply in the Eucharistic prayer, that we offer it up for the whole world. And so this is a w- different than the other sacraments, right? So all the other sacraments benefit the person who receives them. Yeah. This sacrament alone is also a sacrifice which benefits those who are far from the church, right? Those who are, I mean, f- simply the whole world and even the faithful departed in purgatory, right? So it's offered f- for this colossal, and St. Thomas in his treatise on the effects of the Eucharist speaks about it um, it's simply the same effects. It's not different effects of Calvary, but applied to the world today. Yeah, I think there's a line from Aquinas' commentary on John uh, that uh, where he actually says, right, that the all of the Lord's passion is contained in the Eucharist, mm-hmm. and therefore all the effects of the passion mm-hmm. and the effects of the resurrection are mm-hmm. actually effects of the Eucharist. Right. And in a way, when he's describing that, what you're helping us to see is that that's present in the sacrificial mm-hmm. nature of the Mass. Right, right. And right. That, that when the Mass is celebrated, mm-hmm. all those effects right, are, are are really born. Right, right. and in the whole yeah, world. Yeah. So the ma- every, our participation in the Mass has cosmic and universal throughout the world effects yeah. that we're never going to see. And mm-hmm. again, it's on that we do this on the level of faith. And our participation is, so even though, in this offering, we've got two parts, an infinite and a finite, right? So the infinite is Jesus' offering, and the finite is ours. Jesus wants our finite part to influence 
the graces that are showered onto the world. And again, Aquinas brings this out beautifully, and he makes the comparison with the widow's might, mm-hmm. right? So in, in the value of a sacrifice, God looks not only at the content of what's being offered, all right, in the Mass, Jesus is infinite, but on the subjective part of how much of a self-gift that represents. And, um, and so our participation in Mass, or not, has an effect on the graces that are showered on the world. He has a beautiful uh, line, Aquinas, where he speaks about that God gives his creatures the dignity of mm-hmm. causality. Right. And he actually talks about that sense, like in terms of God's providence for his mm-hmm. ordering of the universe, really ordering the universe home and mm-hmm. ordering right. his rational creatures home to him as his children. He says it can be furthered by the prayers of the right. saints, not because God is not perfect and all-powerful, but he's so powerful that he can create creatures whose actions and right. prayers so, matter. That's so beautiful. So they give the dignity of causality. Right. I love that, though. So in a certain mm-hmm. sense, when we're at Mass, mm-hmm. we have then the ability to kind of somewhat, we're, we're really at Mass. We matter right. in a way. Right. Um, and therefore, we can, um, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's kind of odd. It's like we want to think in a way that just kind of like, oh, like, Obviously, there's some ways in which we're, we mess everything up, right. and we're we're kind of a disaster, mm-hmm. largely. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I should but, introduce myself and say, "Hi, I'm I'm Michael. I'm a problem, <laughs> uh, right? Uh, run away." Uh, but there's a but but that deep sense in which we're though because we are actually his children mm-hmm. by grace right. by adoption, then we can we right. can offer genuine we can contribute to. Right. Exactly, right, the, to this effect, to the, to the effect. fruits of the passion being distributed to the world. Wow. It's the fruits of the passion, right? It's yes. not the fruits of our life, but it's we're contributing mm-hmm. to those fruits of the passion yeah. being distributed to the world, more or less. And that ought to be really humbling, right? That ought not to. So here, I think Protestants think, oh, boy, you that's hubris, right? That's pride. But no, it's the exact opposite in practice, because that really humbles me, because that, may, right? I'm, I'm not, just as you said, I'm not doing this as well. And that offers us something else. So what we bring to this, and mm-hmm. um, let me just say something about that to help in this event. It's our sharing in the other two offices of Christ, right? So it's the kingly office mm-hmm. and the prophetic. And then it makes a unity. The kingly office is our ordering of things. So in other words, just simply our ordering of relationships, our ordering of ourselves, first of all, our ordering of our human relations, family, life, right? All of those friendships, um, our professional work, our volunteer work, and everything, and all the aspects of service. All of that is our kingly mission, and that preaches, right? And then, of course, if we have a vocation of being a teacher, we add to that. And all of that is what we bring. And then, yes, there's this reality of sin. That we can't bring, but that gives us the occasion of a great thing that we can bring, and that's our repentance for that and our desire. And yeah. so that, all of these are what we bring. So we bring, in a way... That sense of bringing that repentance, exactly. which is why we begin the Mass and, with right. a certain sense. Not and, just that we're repenting so that then we're pure. It's more that we actually, what can oh, we right. offer? It's our repentance. That's the best thing. Yeah. And in mm-hmm. a way, we can offer our repented sin and our accepted suffering. Right. And that suffering, again, is tapping into Christ. In other words, Christ's um, suffering, mm-hmm. right? So Christ on the cross, it opened Right, so his arms outstretched, open to all human suffering, and we can think of the mass in the same way because it's the same Calvary made present. Mm-hmm. It's open to all of that um, human suffering that otherwise um, is the the biggest problem. Right, that's why people reject God is the whole problem of suffering. Mm-hmm. But it's 
it, again, it's that giving to his creature a dignity of con causal, of causality, being able to offer what to us seems just lack and inability to. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a beautiful thing. We, 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 we matter to God. Yeah. Right. It's kind of, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful idea. Uh, so, so let's go on to the third communion. Thing. Yes, so, please. So you can see, obviously what we've just said is that the problem is what my offering falls short, right? Yes. And this yes. is why there's this third dimension. Okay. Um, well, it, mm-hmm. it's not the only reason why, but that, let me take a step back. So sure. back to our bridegroom. Okay. The bridegroom, the ultimate desire of spouses is total self-gift, right? Mm-hmm. To totally, to give oneself totally to the spouse. And so Jesus does that in this third aspect, giving himself whole and entire, meaning his body, his blood, his soul, his divinity, to each of us in holy communion. Mm-hmm. The problem, though, is here, too, we are, um, he gives himself holy to me, but do I give myself holy back to him? And therefore, am I able to receive mm-hmm. his gift to me? Mm-hmm. And this is why frequent communion is such an important thing. So well, even a step before that, in order for this third thing to, to work, this self-gift, I have to, first of all, want his self-gift and want to give myself to him. And that's what we mean ultimately by being in a state of grace because a mortal sin is precisely preferring my satisfaction to what I know in conscience is God's will in grave matter. So if I'm in a state of mortal sin, I'm in a state of preferring myself to the bridegroom. And so I'm not giving myself to him, but the contrary. And Could you so, say a word here, by the way, about what is the role then of confession and communion? Right. right. And so confession, I mean, the, Jesus made a sacramental system, which is so marv- marvelously united. And so um, communion and penance are intimately related. They're both sacraments of mm-hmm. the cross. right? And so the way to think of, of the sacrament of penance um, again, kind of putting to what we've said about our re- offering our repentance, the sacrament of penance enables us to enter into Christ's penance. Oh, he had no sin. What are you talking about? Um, Christ, the head, does penance for the whole body, right? So that's Calvary. So he who is without sin puts himself in solidarity with the whole of mankind as our new head, our new Adam, yeah. and offers himself in satisfaction for... So the sacrament of penance is the sacrament of, um, well, it's sacrament of healing, right? It's the healing of grave sin. It's the, and it's, in all the sacraments, there's a, um, a so in, in three sacraments, there's a character in which we have Christ imprinted on us. Mm-hmm. And um, so in the sacrament of penance, we're in being configured to Christ's own penance over sin. And that's the disposition we need to receive his self-gift in the Eucharist. That's such a beautiful way of showing that it's really, that they're, they're actually kind of the same reality mm-hmm. in which we're participating in Christ's mm-hmm. repentance in a mm-hmm. way for our sins, mm-hmm. first in the sacrament of confession mm-hmm. and then in, uh, right, the sacrament of the Eucharist. Right. And again, it's that spousal. I think the way for the faithful mm-hmm. to think of this mm-hmm. is imagine, you know, um, spouses and there's been some grave rift in the relationship, mm-hmm. say an act of adultery, yeah. infidelity. Mm-hmm. And you can't just then come together as if nothing yeah. has happened. Mm-hmm. There has to be reconciliation yeah, yeah. first. And even even little things, right? If right. you kind of were just short that's, the day before, right. Right. you should, you right. know, you apologize the right. next morning. And so mm-hmm. I guess there you mm-hmm. have not only the idea of confessing grave sins, but confessing even being, like exactly. confessing this regular practice. Right. I think it was John Paul mm-hmm. II who uh, would go to confession twice a week. 
and and was a saint, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do we even this certain sense of frequent confession? Right. I think the church, in, you know, even right. encourages regular monthly confession right, right. as a way a of thing, growing yeah. mm-hmm. in this relationship. Yeah. But again, seeing that confession not because I want to be better, because I'm going to like mm-hmm. make I'm going to take Michael's self improvement <laughs> as a big goal, right. and I want to become Michael 2.0 or like the right. I like the, the Michael 14 or something. But yeah, let's leave in Christ out of it. Exactly. But it's really that certain mm-hmm. sense of like, no, I just want to be more configured to right. my bridegroom. I want to be exactly. more configured to Christ. And I'm sorry, Lord, I did it again. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, in, in a way, I think that mm-hmm. kind of is, mm-hmm. it, it's, it becomes less that project. Because, of course, the problem with that project is that project often fails. Yeah. And then we and become that leads to discouragement, right? discouraged and, and mm-hmm. embarrassed. And our mm-hmm. sins mm-hmm. make us sad, not because we're sad about offended Christ, but because we're embarrassed that we're mm-hmm. actually like mm-hmm. uh, you know that that I'm right. I'm not as good as I thought I was. Right, so. embarrassment isn't contrition. Right, they're two yeah, different things. Yeah, nicely put. So, um, yep. You just want, so, do you want to say another word about okay. just so the communion in, to finish up this right. triptych? So here in communion, mm-hmm. I mean, so I have a chapter on the effects of communion. Okay. And Thomas mm-hmm. Aquinas and goes on at some length in the Summa on that, and it's marvelous. And again, it's it's somewhat inexhaustible what the bridegroom gives us. So he, it's the first thing is he gives us himself, but he carries in him all grace, right? He, um, so Aquinas speaks of the capital, Christ has the grace of headship, and he participates that grace in us, his members. And that's, first of all, sharing in his life, right? So we say sharing in the divine life. So that's the first effect of Holy Communion, is that we receive an increase, and there's no limit to the increase. Think of Mary. So Mary after Pentecost, what was her life like? We don't know anything, except we can imagine it would have been a Eucharistic life. And so she would have actually, you know, receiving her son, been growing. She who was full of grace at the Annunciation is growing in grace day by day at an increasing. So we're growing in grace. But again, that sounds abstract. So what does that mean? So it's faith, hope, and charity flow from grace, right? So every increase in grace is going to give us an increase in the virtue of believing God's word, hoping, and above all, loving Right in the way that the new commandment, right, to love one another as I've loved you. How do we, I can't do that? Right. And so he nourishes us. So it's spiritual nourishment in faith, hope, and charity. And then the gifts of the Holy Spirit get nourished. We tend to associate that just with confirmation. But that's again a one-time thing, the way that that gets nourished practically in our life. And so and then the indwelling of the blessed Trinity, right? So again, we tend not to think enough, I think, about the Holy Spirit in receiving communion, but we're receiving an increase by increase of charity, an increase of the intimacy that we have with the three divine persons. And then um, a strengthening of our divine filiation. So again, we tend to think on, off, yes, no, I'm a son of God or not. But no, we're, we become sons by sharing the, that divine nature, sharing in charity. The more we share, the deeper we grow in that mystery. And then it works the forgiveness of sins. Precisely, again, charity is the kind of the key for all of this, unifying all these effects. By growing in charity, that strengthens us in our resolve to avoid mortal sins and to break with our habits of venial sin. Yes. Well, that's um, just, uh, wow, what, what, what a beautiful uh, overview of a 650-page <laughs> book, I believe. Uh, and, uh, and a great way of thinking about Christ the bridegroom who uh, wants to be present with us, who sacrifices himself to the Father and wants us to share in that sacrifice and then wants to be in communion, right? Right mm-hmm. To dwell with us and to have us dwell with him. I want to ask you three quick questions okay. before we leave, but mm-hmm. what's a book you've been reading? 
a, a book a that book. I've been reading. Yeah. I've got lots of books that I've been uh-huh. reading. Well, one thing I've been reading for this conference is, um, so Pope Benedict just passed away. Yes. But, um, he's one of my heroes. And um, he has treasures. So I would, I love his encyclical on hope. Yes. But with mm-hmm. regard to the Eucharist, his Sacramentum Caritatis is a masterpiece. Oh, that's great. Um, that's great. Uh, mm-hmm. And second, what's a practice you do, just maybe just one practice you do on a daily basis that helps you to grow closer to God and find meaning? Well, yeah, daily mass is one of those mm-hmm. practices. And to couple that with um, with mental prayer, in other words, so liturgical prayer and mm-hmm. simply and personal one-on-one, I mean, I think that, that those two things together are um, yeah. essential for a plan of life. For That's great. And uh, what's a belief, last question, what's a belief you held about God that you found out, you discovered was was wrong, was false, and what was the truth you discovered? <laughs> I used to be an atheist, right? So I was brought up an atheist uh, for 29 years. My dad was wow. Jewish atheist. And so maybe this, mm-hmm. uh, this is maybe something too obvious, but if you're an atheist, you don't believe in providence. Mm-hmm. There's no providence. Everything is chance. Okay. And th- what really brought me to conversion was seeing, wow, what would that imply about the people I love? My wife, uh, my son. Mm-hmm. That can't be. And, and so seeing, so the change from seeing the world as an atheist Chance, including persons, mm-hmm. and then seeing persons as the fruit of a divine project of love from all eternity, and therefore all the events of our daily life as having a, a meaning in that. That is so. That is so beautiful. Well, thank you so much, uh, Professor Feingold, for being on our show. And again, uh, for people that are interested, it's a, a great book. It's called The Eucharist: Mystery of Presence, Sacrifice, and Communion. Uh, and, you know, perhaps maybe, uh, you know, give it to a friend uh, anyway, <laughs> if you're interested. And as I said, Professor Feingold's a professor of theology at uh, Kenrick Glennon uh, Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're so glad to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on The Catholic Theology Show.